What it do, campers? <laughs> I hope that y'all having a good week so far. Um, we're fresh off of sharing our first October episode, highlighting the true events of the Conjuring 2 movie, aka the Enfield Poltergeists. And once again, we have a new episode to share with you, and one I'm actually really excited to cover. So if you're new to the podcast, then welcome. I'm your host, Dylan, and you're listening to a new episode of Campfire Adventures. Now, for the returning listeners out there in podcast land, thanks for giving us another go. And again, if you have a movie that you'd like us to cover for this month's adventures, then please feel free to send them in a message and we will see what we can do for you. No promises, but we'll do our best. And then for my live audience, I have a friend here with me named Danny, and he gave us the inspiration for this week's episode. So I hope that we do it justice, but shout out to you for being here. Ooh, ooh. Thank you. <laughs> nice to be here. It's nice to have you here. We tried to have you here for a while, but um, <laughs> with all those introductions given and this thanks being thrown out there, I think it's time for us to kick it off. So with that said, it's time for us to grab a drink. We're sitting around the Blair Witch Rocks of San Marcos in like some random hill. And it's time for us to get into this week's episode. If you've been following along, then you know that this month we're doing a podcast episode based on scary movies. And if you didn't know that, well, then uh, now you know, which is cool. But anyway, last week we told an unmovified version of The Conjuring 2, which was interesting because since we're doing the movie nights on Mondays, I was definitely watching this movie with more of an analyst mindset. And I was trying to see like what they kept the same and to see if they changed some things. But I will say like for a majority of the movie, they kept a good portion of the story so close to the, the reality of it, which I thought was pretty cool. And I know that we questioned whether Ed and Lorraine Warren's presence in the case, you know, was as big as it was. And I'm not sure if they even mentioned anything about the nun in the real story. And I understand that some things are just Hollywood magic and whatnot, but Anyway, altogether, this is one of my favorite scary movies, and I felt like they did it justice. And then, so for this week's podcast episode, I asked Danny, like, what movie he would want us to do and cover, and we threw some ideas back and forth, and eventually we stopped at the idea of doing an episode about The Exorcist. Now, if you haven't seen this classic horror movie, then don't worry, because I have a confession. I've probably only seen a few bits and pieces of this very movie, but... You know, I don't think I've ever seen it in its entirety. At least I don't think I have. And I feel like it would be a good thing because since we're going to have a movie night on Monday anyway, then I feel like having this episode done would make me, you know, being like an amateur sleuth, be more like involved in it. Like, oh, okay, so this is how this happened. This is what actually went down. And then this is how they made it into a movie. So I'm on the case and I'm excited more than ever to actually tell you this story. So I know that you're here for that said story, and I'm finally ready to share that with you. So for this week's episode, I'd like to tell you all the story that inspired the 1973 movie that we all know as The Exorcist. So picture it, 1949, in a place called Cottage City, Maryland. There lived a 14-year-old boy that was dubbed Ronald Doe. 
Now, the papers just use this name in order to protect the identity of the team that actually was plagued with the poltergeists. And for the purpose of telling the story, I'll keep it that way because, I don't know, just for privacy things? Like, maybe at the end I'll tell you exactly what his name was, but for the storyline, we're going to go with Ronald Doe. So as the story goes, everything in this young boy's life was going swimmingly. He had friends, he was in school, and along with his family, he was a practicing German Lutheran. Now, if you're like me, then you have that one family member that comes over and does all the cool stuff that you'd ever want them to do. Like they take you to go out to eat, they give you some money, and your parents can't really do anything or get mad because they're just trying to spend quality time with you. And then to put then example to what I'm trying to describe, like, have you ever seen that movie Halloween Town? Yeah. And then, you know, like, how the mom's like a square and she's like, we don't celebrate Halloween. Right. And then the grandma comes and she's like, I got costumes and candy and everything that you could ever want. And right. it just seems appropriate because, you know, it's a Halloween classic, you know, we're bringing up the nostalgia. But basically, for the most part, most people have somebody in their life that comes through and they're like ready for adventure all the time. And in Ronald Doe's life, that person was his Aunt Harriet. So one night, back in the day, during one of her visits, she thought it'd be a good idea to bust out the old Ouija board. And they just used it and seemed like, hey, that would be the end of it. Nothing really was going to go on. We just were showing them, like, hey, there's a Ouija board. I know that you're a devout, practicing Lutheran. She's a little bit more spiritual in what she does. And so she thought it'd be cool to show them the Ouija board. And well, after her visit, uh, around the early times of 1949, a tragedy struck the family, and Ronald Doe's aunt, she actually died. And it was after her death that this seemingly normal life of Ronald Doe changed forever. From that moment on, things in the house would never be the same. It started with a scratching noise being heard throughout Ronald's room. And once again, I feel like we can make a logical argument here and say, like, well, maybe there's rats in the walls, or maybe the house is just settling after a hot day kind of thing you know not to like freak ourselves out but those noises didn't stop there just like in the infield poltergeists ronald doe and his family started to hear knocking noises throughout his room and i mean that would definitely be a cause for concern and so these antics kept up for a few months and then things started to get pretty heavy the bed started to slide across the room and things would unexplainably be thrown across the room it's even said that Ronald Doe would walk by a picture of Jesus and it would just move, like start to rattle a little bit. Now, I don't know about you all, but if this, <laughs> uh, but to me, this isn't normal. And I'm just saying that I wonder if any of this was gonna be going down if a Ouija board wasn't being used like in the first place. I mean, I've never used one. Have you ever used one before? No. Would you ever use one? No. Definitely not. And I just, I was wondering, like, going through all this stuff, like, hearing about the knocking, the rattling, shaking pictures, the bed flying around, like, I wondered if any of this would have ever happened if he never played with the Ouija board. But, I mean, we kind of just don't know. And I mean that we're all here because we believe in supernatural stuff. So let's just keep going with the story. So speaking of stories, I want to throw it out there. Just how do we even know that anything, you know, aside from the book, The Exorcist and, and the movie, like, how do we know any of this is true? Well, as we go along this story, I'm going to tell you. So the family went to the police. They didn't have an answer for them. And then they went to the doctors to no avail. So lastly, they went to a local minister, Luther Schultz. And although he wasn't able to offer any help of his own, he was able to point them in the right direction. Now, I always like to share everything that I find while I'm learning more and more about these stories. And I learned a new word today, so I figured that I'd share it with you all. The word is 
Jesuits. Have you ever heard of that before? Um, form of religion. Okay, kind of. So, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it's a Roman Catholic order of priests. And basically, that's who the minister had pointed them out to. They're like, there's this whole little conglomerate of priests, and maybe you should go ask them, because unfortunately, I just, I don't know, you know? So, the family's minister told them to come, you know, talk to them, and they end up talking to one of these dudes, and all this stuff is happening around February. So, it's been about two months or so that Ronald Doe and his family have been going through all this crap. But they are finally pointing to a guy who might be able to help them. And he was a Catholic priest named Father E. Albert Hughes. So he basically was like, okay, I've seen this before, and there's a supernatural entity trying to do some shady-ass crap with Ronald. And if we don't act now, then this might trigger a bigger fight up in the future. So he gets permission from the church, and he's approved to do the exorcism. So they strap down Ronald onto his bed, and they start the ceremony. As things start to commence, the bed that Ronald's strapped down to starts to shake. And eventually, during this whole process, a spring from the bread lodged out of the bed and strikes the priest. Whoa. And so it stops the whole thing. Right. And he's like, oh, look, my shoulder. I'm just he's just like, I can't, we can't do it. Like, it stopped the whole process, everything. And I'm not sure exactly how that could have possibly happened, but there was something in that room that day that didn't want that exorcism to take place. So with all these things left incomplete and so much more of a perspective put on the situation, Father Hughes figured that this was a poltergeist unlike any other that he's seen. So basically he's like, we need to find somebody, I mean somebody out there who might've had a little bit more experience with this. So a few days after the attempted exorcism, things started to get worse for Ronald. On Ronald's body, the words Lewis started to appear like on his like ribcage. Oh. So it appeared on his ribcage, and the family took it as a sign that maybe they would find some help for the problem in St. Louis, Missouri. And at this point, they were almost willing to do anything to stop the poltergeists. So they got some help from their family in Missouri to find some people out there who were part of the church. And these Jesuits' names were Father Walter H. Holleran and Reverend William Boder. They helped perform more than 20 exorcisms on Ronald Doe when he got to St. Louis and nothing seemed to work. They used religious artifacts, they had multiple people come into the room to help make their presence stronger, and still nothing. Now during the process, everyone was trying to look for patterns, anything that they could find that would help them narrow in exactly what was going down. And they noticed that now Ronald was speaking like in Italian, he was cursing out religious members, and it seemed as though whatever was having a hold over Ronald got stronger during the evening and a little bit weaker during the day. The goal was to try to rid the boy of whatever was having a hold over his body as soon as possible. So we are now in late March at this point. They're now in St. Louis. It's been about three and a half months of dealing with the poltergeist nonsense. And like I said, they've gone from Maryland to Missouri. It seems as though things are just getting worse, but no one was willing to give up. The family decided to move their son into Alexander Brothers Hospital, which has since been closed. But the idea was to have Ronald Doe in a medical facility to make sure that he had the medical attention he needed if it arises, like to the point where they need somebody to help them do some medical coverage while the priests and the Jesuits were performing their exorcisms. So we're now moving into mid-April, and to be more specific, this is the Monday after Easter in 1949. So it's claimed to be the day that Ronald Doe spoke, and he claimed that Satan would always be with him. 
And now was do or die for the exorcist team. They got every holy object imaginable and placed them all over Ronald. And they began to do another exorcism. So like I said, they've already done over 20, mm -hmm. but they're not done. They're in a medical facility. They're there and they're waiting to just figure out how they can stop this whole thing. So they got everything that they could possibly think of and they did everything they could. And they even claimed that St. Michael wouldn't let Satan win and that he would fight for Ronald Doe to keep his soul. Now, I'm not too up to date on religion, and I wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page. But according to the St. Michael College website, St. Michael is an archangel. He's a spiritual warrior of the battle of good versus evil, and he's considered a champion of justice, a healer of the sick, and the guardian of the church. So, I mean, if there was anybody in mind that you'd want on your side, it would be him, I feel like. And so I'm not sure if he heard the priest chants, but it was about 10 minutes later that Ronald spoke. For the first time he spoke without speaking Italian, without sounding in like a, you know, grudge style voice, like in the poltergeist, like he spoke his actual voice and he said the words, he's gone. That's what he said. He said, he's gone. And I think at that moment, everyone took a breath of air and because that was when they all first experienced like we haven't heard him speak like that in over four months. Mm -hmm. And it seemed as though something had just changed. The family and the Jesuits kept an eye on Ronald for a couple of days, but nothing seemed to happen like, like they used to. No scratching, no unexpected levitation, no more speaking in Italian, and no more of the bed shaking and flying across the room. It was as if St. Michael had showed up and showed out for Ronald Doe, and that he was able to save his soul. Now, if you remember before I went into this accounts of the priest activities with Ronald, I said, like, how is it even possible that we know any of these stories? Well, it's because the family's minister, Luther Schultz, wrote about these accounts when he initially asked for help with the boy with the poltergeist. And then after that, Reverend William Bodern, he kept a journal of all the accounts that took place while he offered treatment to Ronald Doe. And actually, all these different notes, all these diaries, all these, every single thing that could have been written down were the layout for the Exorcist book which later became the movie. And if you're wondering, like, could this actually be considered a poltergeist? Well, I looked up some more information on poltergeist, and I can't see any reason why we could discount this being that. So there was an author named Robert Matthew who wrote a book exploring the ideas of everything all poltergeist, and he claimed that there were eight stages of them. So one being the beginning, where you lightly hear noise, kind of like the scratching noise that they started hearing in Ronald's room. Two would be the noises get louder, basically. And so we started to hear the knocking noises with Ronald Doe. The third step is moving objects. So the bed that slid across the room, the objects flying, the picture of Jesus that moved. And then four is apports and disapports, where things appear and disappear out of nowhere. I didn't see that part in this story. I didn't hear any parts of that happening, but I mean, they could have, I just didn't read it in the articles. So after that comes five, which is communication. So how Ronald was speaking in Italian out of nowhere. He didn't even know the language and he just started speaking. Stage six is the climax where things reached the worst that they could possibly be. So when Ronald claimed that Satan would always be with him, I mean, that kind of seems like the worst. You heard something? I did hear something. <clears throat> And then the last two stages are the declining and then the ending, 
where the poltergeist wins. And I feel like Ronald Doe got up to this point, but his support group wasn't gonna just give up. And they eventually actually won his soul back for him. Because if you don't win, then whatever's trying to take your soul is gonna be the winner. The decline is like you start to lose everything that's you. And then eventually you can't do anything. And then that's when it's able to take your soul. So I feel like they got up to this point, but I mean, we already know who won, you know, Ronald got to keep his soul. And I mean, if all this happened, how it's written about and everything, the accounts that were, you know, recalled and then put into articles, I couldn't be just more thankful that Ronald is okay. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. And I'm just, it's just, it's cool to know that he's okay and that he survived this ordeal, that people didn't give up on him. And that's why I always say that throughout all these things that seem just so impossible, there might be just a little bit of truth and a little bit of realism for somebody else, at least if anything else, that the priest and his family just didn't give up on him and they were able to help him. Because if you wanna know what actually happened after this, Ronald Doe, after the exorcism, you know, was finally successful, his family moved back to the East Coast, and it was later revealed that the identity of Ronald Doe is actually Ronald Edwin Hunkler. And he never wanted to be known as the 14-year-old boy that survived the exorcist. And he actually ended up having a successful career working as an engineer with NASA. He worked on the Apollo project, which was cool. And he lived out the rest of his life in Maryland. He had kids, he had a family, and he actually just died recently back in 2021 at 86 years old. So it was a very happy ending for a teen who was plagued with a terrible ordeal, having to go through a poltergeist for about four months. But that's the truth. A story that I couldn't believe wasn't just a movie. And for all of you out there, you now know the eight steps of a poltergeist. So if you see something like this happening at all, you hear about it, then you know. And maybe you could do something. And with all that said, I'd like to wrap it up with another movie-themed episode to our podcast catalog. And this is not meant to disrespect anybody involved in this or, you know, discredit any of the true events. But it's just more for me to say, like, all these scary movies that we watch, there's some little bit of truth to them, even if they're just a movie. And this is just another one that I get to share with you all. So thanks for listening. Thanks to Danny for being here and listening. Thanks for taking the time to write this story. You're welcome. And researching. What'd you think? I liked it. How different is this story from the uh, Exorcist movie? Um, I don't know. Pretty similar, right? Some elements, at least. Some elements are similar. Like, I was reading, like, there was obviously no throwing up scene. Right. Or, you know, it was a little <laughs> boy instead of a girl. Right. I feel like a little girl makes it more intense. Mm-hmm. And obviously the vomiting is probably more for dramatic effect. He did urinate in his bed a couple times, which is when things got worse and they moved him to the hospital. Okay. But, I, mean, I feel like that's more natural than vomiting up a wall, you know, or... Yeah. Or completely painting the walls with vomit. Well, because the only reference I feel like I have to The Exorcist, like, when I think about it now, is, like, from Scary Movie. You know how they make fun of it? And, right. like... Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the only thing I could picture. <laughs> so I might have seen it, you know, regardless if I didn't or not. We're going to watch it on Monday. Movie I would Monday. I interested to know if there was any account of of uh what's it called ronald because it it sounds like it's coming from the priest right but it sounds oh. like there's no like perspective from ronald like his own version of like what happened so what i heard is that everybody who knew him he didn't want anyone to know who he was right he didn't want anyone to know that he survived the poltergeist and i guess they'd even say like even around i don't know why but around halloween time he'd just go away and like try to be away from everything halloween like supernaturalist kind and, of thing uh, 
So he just never wanted to reveal it, and he kept it a secret until he died. And that's why, like, another podcast is the one that actually figured out, all, like, a lot of this information and figured out who his identity was. And then they're the ones who leaked it after he passed away. It's also interesting, like, I don't know, the difference between a poltergeist and uh, a demonic uh, position and a demonic mm. position, huh? They're pretty similar. I feel like it's pretty similar because you don't know what's the entity that's right. attacking you that's and right. so that's why like sometimes whenever somebody has like a ghost or something and they think that they can handle it like they literally say do not talk to it you don't know what you're talking to right. and you don't know who you're saying like oh yeah you can stay here no big deal like you could be letting anything and the closer that they get to you and the closer that they get to your soul then that's when it becomes a problem because they literally were Lutherans and then they had to go to the Catholic Church yeah. and ask them for help. And it just turned into this big ordeal. And whether most of it's true, some of it's true or none of it's true, it's just a story that happened to somebody who this was their reality in some sense or the other. So Right. I mean, I think it's also interesting how people always go to Catholic, Catholic sorry, mm -hmm. for that kind of stuff, you know? What? I actually did know of a priest that... Not personally, I knew that did exorcism, but he knew of somebody that performed exorcism. It's crazy. Yeah, he would say like crazy stuff. Like he was specially designed only for exorcists, and like he was trained by the church, sent to locations by the church. Mm -hmm. So, and people do do that, and people oh, yeah. they help. Well, that's what like I said with Ed and Lorraine Warren. That's why it's hard because in the infill poltergeist, they needed somebody out there to help out because yeah. the little girl was plagued. But with that one, there was so much different scenarios wrapped around it where like. Is she lying? Is she not lying? With this one, it didn't seem like anybody questioned it, but it was also in the 40s. So yeah. trying to find like accounts and records of the story is a little bit harder. Right. We're just going off of like yeah. little journal entries and diaries and all this stuff. Like they literally have quotes. Like in every article, they have quotes of the priests and the reverends writing down like, okay, so today the bed flew across the room or today, like he's speaking in tongues and he's saying all this stuff. And like, that's how they wrote the book. And then they made the movie and it's just insane how this is a reality for somebody. Right. Crazy. But it's another story in our podcast and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for being here to listen to it. And we literally are sitting outside of an area that I know as the Blair Witch Rocks of San Marcos. That's what it's dubbed now. And we're chilling looking at the night of uh, San Marcos. We had some ramen. We got to try some mead, which is bomb. So check out them, Mediocrity. That was pretty good. And yeah, so we're gonna wrap it up. So every noise you heard is because we're outside in the hillsides near Cal State San Marcos, just chilling. And we are around the portable campfire. So you'll see the pictures of that. And thanks for listening. So you'll see behind the scene pictures on our Instagram and Facebook at Campfire Adventures Podcasts. You can see all of our source material and more pictures uh, of the people involved in this story at www.campfireadventures.com. And whether you listen to this during the day or the evening, I hope you have a good day or good evening. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>